Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the 2020 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Patrick Rose, and I'm a first-year MBA at MIT Sloan, and it is my pleasure to present our panel, Reinventing a Business, the Future of Sports Business. This panel is part of our business track and is presented by Ticketmaster. And our panelists are Paul Kane, president of Endeavor NFL On Location Experiences, Amy Latimer, president of TD Garden, Jimmy Pataro, president of ESPN, Amy Howe, president and COO of Ticketmaster, and our panel will be moderated by Abe Madcor, executive editor at Sports Business Journal. The panel will run for 45 minutes, and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. And for questions, please feel free to post them on Twitter using the hashtag ReinventingBiz, and that's B-I-Z for biz. And for questions, the top mentions will be forwarded to our moderator, and he'll be able to field them as we um, proceed with the Q&A session. And with that, I'll turn it over to Abe. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. How about giving it up for Patrick and all the students? Great job. I also want to give a special shout out to Jess Gelman and Daryl Morey. It's great to be back here. Give it up for them for the great, great couple of days they do here. We're going to have a great session. We are also going to take your questions. So at any time, ask the questions, and we'll ask them of the panelists. Reinventing a business. Each one of these people in their own verticals are reinventing the way we experience sports in the future, either the live event experience, the way we access the live event, the way we watch the live event. So we're going to have a really good, fluid, dynamic conversation. We can't start this panel, though, without focusing on something I'm sure everyone on this panel has spent the last 72 hours focused on, and that is the coronavirus and its possible impact on all of our businesses. So I do want to start with that. And Paul, I'm going to start with you, and we can just go down the row of the concerns we have and where we could see the impact on the business of sports. Sure. So uh, On Location, which is the company that I'm the president of, uh, we, we create and present to consumers the most incredible experiences at live events, sports being a major part of it. So since we're an On Location, a live in the live sports business, this, the impact is, could be significant. So we're prepared in just wanting to understand if, consu if consumers are not going to events, then we need to understand the impact it will have financially on our business and how we can better serve that customer. Amy, I mean, you're putting on live events. Both Amy's are you know, in the live event business. Why don't you two chime in about what you're focused on and how it could impact you? Amy Latimer first. Sure, so uh, for the TD Garden, obviously we are host, uh, hosting live events with the Bruins, the Celtics, concerts. And uh, for us right now, it's about information. One, we want to make sure that our associates and our guests feel that they are coming to a safe environment. So the communication to them about what we're doing, everything from p taking the best practices from the CDC. Uh, and then also, you know, we instituted new cleaning. Uh, we have a number of things in place. Really, right now, for us, it's been, you know, what do we do from an operational standpoint? How do we communicate that to everyone? And what we're finding is that we're getting really a lot of inquiries about 
processes, um, everything from clients to potential uh, concerts, and they just want the same information to make decisions. So we're preparing to make sure that uh, we're taking care of everybody and communicating that out. No, no cancellations or either drop off in, in, in attendance. No, not right now. Nope, we haven't had uh, we haven't had any events cancel, and and you know we're fortunate to be in a city um, where the fan base is really strong, and they're still attending all the events. Amy, you're in the live event concert sports business. Any impact yet? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, similar to Amy, um, we're all working through this together, right? And there's right now, I think we're in this period of uncertainty, and that breeds anxiety. Um, but we're seeing similar things, right? Very few cancellations right now. The fundamentals of the business are still incredibly strong. Um, music's a little different, right? Because a lot of those events are being played off in the summer. So some consumers are a little bit in wait and see, but we haven't seen a material impact on the business right now. Jimmy Pataro, you're a little different. Of course, you have people on site producing yeah. and directing events, but you also have a, a large at-home viewership. How, is it, how could it impact you? It, look, I, I think like, like everyone else, we're, of course, asking our employees to be careful, make smart decisions, be safe. Um, you know, at the enterprise level, folks at ESPN and, and, and the Walt Disney Company are, are meeting daily, looking at things through an operational lens, business lens, workforce lens, uh, meeting with the appropriate authorities regularly. Uh, but to drill down from a business perspective, we have not yet seen any cancellations in terms of live events, games, nor have we seen games moving forward without fans, which we're all hearing about. Um, you, you guys have reported on that potential, um, so have many other outlets. But as I sit here right now, we, we, we have not encountered that. And, and so the games that, that, that we're covering still are moving forward, and, and, and there are fans you know, in the arenas. No travel ban at ESPN? No. Okay. Let's go down the row. Biggest obstacle to reinventing a business, and one word is, Amy Howe, I'll start with you. What's the biggest obstacle to reinventing a business? For us, changing behavior. Changing behavior. Jimmy? Uh, internal alignment. Change adoption. I would say the same thing, change, change behavior. That's the largest thing. And then I'll start with Jimmy Pataro. The biggest way that you've been able to reinvent your business since you've been in your role is what? In what way? Uh, how much time do we have? I, I was thinking the same thing. You got all day. No, I'm serious. Do you want, do you want a one-liner or do you want... No, give, give us the, the broad strokes of what you really wanted to go in there in terms of yeah. reinvent at ESPN when you got the top job. Look, ESPN, we, we serve sports fan anytime, anywhere. And so that, you know, we look at ourselves as, as a, as a multi-platform company. Obviously, uh, 40 years of, of great success on the traditional television side. Uh, that still remains a big priority of ours. The television business, that NVPD, multi-channel video programming distributor ecosystem is still very viable and, and, and important to us at the same time. Uh, as I think everyone in here knows, digital is also a priority. Direct to consumer, having that direct access to the customer. And so in, in April of 2018, a month after I joined, we launched ESPN Plus. And fast forward to today, and, and we're very pleased with, with, with the performance of, of that platform. Uh, on last earnings call, my boss announced 7.6 million subscribers. Uh, but I think more important than that, uh, more important than the sub number is just the product and the experience. Uh, you know, we, our focus is on quality, and so quality from a tech perspective, quality from a product and user experience perspective, 
and then pro quality from a content perspective. And I, when, I, when I engage with that product, I check all three boxes. Like for me, it is, it is the best digital sports experience. When, I'm fi when I fire up the app and I'm logged in, the angels start singing for me. You know, having the ability to, to get my news right there, um, watch games, have all the ESPN Plus original content, and really is, uh, and from my perspective, a, a, a world-class uh, sports, uh, sports fan experience. But again, it's this idea of running parallel paths, continuing, continuing to invest in a business that has served us very, very well, an ecosystem that has served us well, which is the traditional television model. But, but a challenge business. Definitely a challenge business right now. Um, but setting ourselves up for the future, which is launch a product like ESPN Plus, which is a component of the ESPN app that uh, now sets us up for um, a, a day where we have optionality if we right. do d decide to start moving more content over to that experience. How many, we can see uh, through the stage, how many in the audience are subscribers to ESPN Plus? Give Jimmy a focus group right here. That's a pretty good number. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I'm blown away by your sign-up numbers. I mean, seven million subs I think is great. And I'm a big fan of the service. I think it's pretty frictionless and pretty easy and pretty intuitive. So yeah, well, that, you used the right word, frictionless. You know, the idea was, let's be clean, let's be contemporary, let's, let's really just get out of the way of the content. Let's let the product get out of the way, but, but serve it up in the right way, write content to the right user at the right time, be personalized. Uh, and, and like I said, it, I feel like it's working right now. It's heavily consumed in my household. Amy and I both have three boys, so we love your product. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're, so your children consume <clears throat> Love it. They're, I mean, they're obsessed with ESPN. Anytime my phone is, is disappeared, they're on the ESPN app or consuming some sort of content. And I will say, I know they're not on the panel, but I think what you, uh, ESPN Plus has done for the UFC specifically, mm. like in terms of just driving that interest and yeah. volume around that sport, has been um, uh, pretty impressive. Well, if, you, if you, before you move on, if you, since you raised it, if you walk down the halls in, in Bristol, Connecticut, or any of our offices around the globe, and you ask our employees what, what our priorities are, they'll say direct-to-consumer, ESPN+, and then the next thing they'll say is audience expansion, which is why, really, the primary reason why we did the deal with the UFC. Younger audience, passionate fan base, able, you know, bring in new fans that might not otherwise have been engaging with ESPN. I want to get to the young audience pretty soon. The three of you, live event businesses, all in different ways. How have you reinvented your respective businesses? Paul, start with you. So uh, let, let's start with, I spend most of my career on the media side. And what I realized on the media side, similar to Jimmy, is that if you can't be there, you're going to watch it. And that's where media really came in. The insight that I, I uh, myself and Endeavor had was, but you want to be there. And if you want to be there, what kind of experience do you want to have? So we looked at On Location as an acquisition that we uh, closed two months ago as an idea that we could take what On Location does, which is in partnership with all the major leagues, NFL, NCAAs, uh, across all forms of music and culture, and can help consumers be on site with not just ticketing, but a higher level of experience. So think about it as not only are you there to see and experience the event, but you're there um, to meet and greet somebody. You're there with premium seating. You're gonna get great hospitality. So we looked at that business and said, okay, this is a really fundamentally great way to reach consumers, especially since the consumer trends show that 75% of millennials wanna go somewhere, do something rather than buy something. So we thought we were right on trend. The second part of this is now how do we reinvent it? 
So we looked at it and said, it's not just the experience, it's actually a product. And since ex experiences are what the trend is going to, we have to think about it like a consumer product. So there are three things we're gonna do. First thing is develop a brand that you recognize. So like, for example, Jimmy, when someone says you work at ESPN, does anyone ask you, what do they, what do they ask you? When someone asks me, well, no, do what I they, work? What's the first question they ask you when they say, oh, I work at ESPN? Where they or say, you want tickets? Are you, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Tickets, you're saying. <laughs> right, right. When How can you help me? I get that question a lot. When uh, people, can yeah, I'm sure. Can I have an get internship? the ticket question. And I'm sure you guys all have similar answers. When my team gets asked, when you, uh, when you, you know, I work for On Location, what do you do? Uh, the first question out of their mouth is, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is On Location? Explain that to me. Yeah. To, to that point, raise your hand if you know what On Location experience is is in this audience. So that's pretty good. So we got to raise it to the ESPN Plus level. That's our goal. <laughs> um, but what we, so we're going to establish a brand, whether it's on location or something else, that you recognize, that everyone in this room says, I know exactly what on location does. Second is we're going to develop a product that is, starts with the purchase and ends with the brag, meaning every element of as soon as you decide to go somewhere, we want to touch you in a way and bringing you into the event before you ever leave when you get on site, and then when you get home. That product that we're gonna build is gonna be something that you're gonna think about when you think about experiences. And then the third thing is we're going to be relentless in making sure we're bringing you the most premium experiences you've ever had in your life across everything that you'd wanna do live. So we're in the middle of that transformation now. We've only owned the business for two months. Uh, it's really new. However, we're making fast inroads in terms of all the different elements, and you're going to start seeing the results in the coming months. And for the audience, your biggest assets are, obviously... So we have the Super Bowl, the, the NCAA Final Four. We've got uh, all the major golf events, all the major tennis events, um, all the music events across the country that you, know, that you can think of we, we, we do work with. But more importantly, New York Fashion Week, Freeze... Uh, UFC, you name it, everything that you want to do, we can help bring you to it. And we can create bespoke events too that are off our grid that you may want to do on a personal level. We can create those as well. Your business has always been a pretty traditionally run business. Go to Ticketmaster, get yeah. your tickets, go to events. Now you've had to change that. And you said the biggest reluctance or the biggest obstacle is people kind of resisting change. Yeah, we think about it. Uh, so Jimmy used the word friction, which uh, I think many people would think of when they think of uh, ticketing. The industry's basically worked the same for decades, right? So at 10 o'clock on a Friday, you line up in you know, big imbalance between supply and demand, race conditions to try to get those tickets. There's bots, there's brokers trying to get them. You get the ticket, you get an anonymous barcode. You, have no, you can do whatever you want with that barcode, and then you enter the venue with a paper ticket, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how the industry has worked for for decades. So in the last few years, we've we fundamentally changed that, right? So the, the presence technology, and now this year with um, the evolution of, of safe ticks, which really fundamentally changes that barcode, we're solving what we talk about as the identity problem, right? So for years, you know who bought the ticket, but you have no idea who is at the venue, right? Which means if you're an artist or a sports team or Broadway producer, you really don't know who your fan is. So in solving that identity problem, it fundamentally transforms what we can do with the fan experience. It gives you know, venue operators and content much greater control to really engage those consumers in a personalized way. So lots of great opportunity, but, but it's hard. You're, change, you're changing an industry that has worked the same way for 20 plus years. And not to flatter present company, but you know, I've been in this business a long time, and the, uh, the adoption of change at Ticketmaster at the company has been well-known, well-discussed, and well-received. You seem much more open 
to the whims, not the whims, the demands of your clients and the venues and the teams to, to, to take on some of these challenges. Because Amy, you want to know everybody who's in that venue yeah. and their behavior. Yep. It's a demand, not a whim. Right. Yeah. And you're getting close. Aren't you She's a very closer? demanding client, but a very good closer? one. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You and I have been in this a long time. You yeah, are getting so far closer to who's in seat. 25 years ago, uh, paper tickets. Um, we had two communications with Bruins season ticket holders. Here's your invoice for the season. Here's your invoice for the playoffs, right? Um, food didn't change drastically. Uh, the experience of getting in. Now I look at the tw this 25 year transition and everything has changed and the demand for identity is so important for us. So it's important for us to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the clients that are coming in. Um, for, you know, from a sales perspective, if you're looking to um, profile those clients to make sure that if you need to sell tickets you have those other clients. I mean, even just coming into the building, we just invested in six you know, destination dispatch elevators. We're the only arena in the country that has them. That thanks to Ticketmaster, when you scan your ticket, it tells you what elevator to go to when you're into the building. So right. we all have a frictionless goal that we're yeah. looking for and the demand and the experience, um, the guest services, like every single aspect of this change. And you have to change not only your decision-making process, but we had to change bricks and mortar. Like we have to change how that building right. looks and That's operates right. and, and um, just trying to meet the continuing demands. You guys, some of you in this room don't know time before social media and we'll get to it, but that has changed how we actually make decisions and respond. Um, we, you know, it was still mail. We didn't even have email when we when I joined that group. <laughs> I mean, I'll, sh I'll share some numbers with you. There are professional sports teams, NFL, some of the NBA teams, right, where you're seeing 95% mobile entry, right? 95% of consumers are entering the venue with their device. We're 85 right now. You're right. 85? Yeah, we wow. were we were 8% four five years ago. So that's 8%. a rapid. Wow. We created a special door just if you would please use your mobile. <laughs> and, we, and it was 8% adoption, and now it's, you know, it's 85, and really probably because we haven't taken some of our sweet clients and other people and, and transitioned them to mobile. But you've also, I mean, we've been forced, we collectively as an industry have been forced to make these changes because the consumer wants more, and it's far easier to stay at home and really experience sports <laughs> through your programming than it is to go to the live event. Sometimes it's really not easy to go to the live event. Well, I think it's... Uh, I would actually twist the language okay. a little bit from forced to, in, to inspired by the consumer <laughs> interests because I think the consumer, as you're watching what consumers are interested in, they kind of like the mobile ticketing. They like the ease of it. And also when you give them those surprise and delights through the platforms, then they think it's a benefit. <laughs> if, it's, if it makes their whole experience easier, whether it's ordering food or getting information or finding about no other things happening in the venue that they'd want to engage in, that's where our business really comes in. I love and I'm excited about the technology piece of this for uh, two reasons. One is it'll build, help us build a better product and relationship with our consumer. And two is it's gonna better help us serve our partners. You know, we're venue partners, we're, we're partners with people providing events like what Jimmy's doing, and we're ticketing partners because Amy's a big partner of ours too. And for us to share the information across all the different channels, that's gonna make all of our businesses stronger. Look, and just, ahead, just yeah. to give you a, a sense, in the last two years for the NFL alone, They've, between the league and the clubs, they've identified 5 million fans that they didn't know before, right? So 
your ability to, to go and understand who are those five million fans. I've got a, a VIP premium consumer. I've got somebody who's buying at the last minute. I've seen somebody that I've never seen before in my database. So how do you start to develop great products and programs um, and use that? You know, it's not just ticketing to sell a ticket, but it's actually driving your business in other ways. And if I can add, it's not just in the venue. Like our footprint has grown. Right, so we just implemented an app that is for the development that we have out front, the retail space. So it's not just when they enter in your building, you're trying to do the street to seat um, from a much farther distance than you are just waiting till somebody goes through your turnstiles. You wanna know them in advance and what is going on and what they're doing before they come to the event. I will agree with you, Paul, that the benefits far outweigh the challenges, but getting people to adopt to mobile can be a challenge for the franchises and the team operators. I know that, but once it happens, it generally goes pretty There's no question. And, and here's the thing is that there's always gonna be people that are gonna drag behind. So this is my third industry I've been in that's been through transformation. I went through, I, I worked in print and I, I helped that organization move from a magazine to a multi-platform offering. I worked in radio where we went from uh, terrestrial into digital streaming and on demand. Now in this experience business, I'm watching the same thing happen where there's groups of people that are going to stay in, the, in what was and want to hold on to it. Then there are those people like the people sitting in front of you that are going forward into what's the future. That's what's going to change everything. And we're going to look back and think about it as an obvious, but at the time, you know, right now it's all about connecting those two points. One of the conversations I had recently was with a high level executive, and I want to start with Jimmy on this, the need to get younger. Okay, and the focus on youth. One commissioner I spoke to is like, most of their time is trying to figure out how to make their product more relevant to a young audience. I mean, I know you're spending a lot of time. Yeah, so, so again, top priority for ESPN. And, and so if you look, if you just take a step back and you look at the younger audience right now and, 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 and what's happening out there, there's, uh, there's a lot of multitasking. Obviously, there's, um, a move from the bigger screen to the, to the smaller screens. Um, there's um, less of an appetite to watch nine inning baseball games or, or full games. Uh, and, and so what we're doing, we're, we're not sitting idle, right? You know, status quo is a recipe for disaster or at least a recipe for irrelevance. And so we are very much looking at uh, an open world where we're not necessarily taking the approach of if you build it, they will come. Uh, we're saying we, we need to be where uh, the younger generation is right now. So, you know, I, I, just a few years ago, we may have taken that approach, which is um, put all of our, our resource, resources and investment in our owned and operated properties. Um, and obviously that is still the number one priority for us, but we are also doing a fantastic job on Instagram. Um, we have a, a, a native sports center um, that's available on, on Snap. Mm -hmm. We have a great presence, well over 3 million followers on TikTok in a very, very short amount of time. So there's just this idea of going where the fans are and then hopefully this is rising tide concept where we're able to introduce our content, our brands, our products on those platforms and then have them spend more time on own and operated. So a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a sales conference and we were just starting to really engage uh, around this topic and, 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 and I made the point that I just made, and afterwards some folks came up to me and said, you know, I just want, to, want you to know I have a couple of teenagers, and they were introduced to SportsCenter on Snap. And as a result, 
Now they're watching SportsCenter on traditional television. So, right, that, that, they, that's exactly what, 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 what we're going for here. But again, we're not, we're not looking at these social platforms as marketing vehicles. We are actually, and we're also not just taking what's airing on traditional television and cutting it up and throwing it up on Instagram. Um, we are creating native experiences on these platforms. We just hired a guy named Omar Raja who right. created House of Highlights, and he's now, he's now responsible for many things, but one of those things is SportsCenter on Instagram, and he's doing a fantastic job there. So just being open, I think, is, is point one. Point two is how we're covering the games. Uh, you know, it can't just be the way we've been covering the games for the past 30, 40 years. You know, we need, to, we need to be innovating and trying new things and not being afraid to, to, to fail. And so a couple of examples there are, you know, putting mics on players. Abe, you and I were talking about this earlier. You know, for, for spring training baseball, we've had a lot of success in terms of giving the younger generation access to players. We hear repeatedly, younger generation wants access and authenticity. So for me, I hear, the, hear, hear those words, I immediately think, Exposure to athletes while they're on the field are, are on the court. And so we're doing that. You know, we had Chris Bryant uh, and Anthony Rizzo mic'd up for a Cubs game recently, and it was gold for us. And I have teenagers. I, I pressure test this in my own house. And, you know, I, I, I watch. You know, they will not turn away when players are mic'd. You know, I, we grew up with this with NFL Films. They've right. done a fantastic job there. You know, if you hear Joe Montana at the line of scrimmage, you cannot pretty cool. change the channel. Nope. Um, and so we're, we're really leaning into that. And then just beyond just putting mics on players, which is just one little example, it's, you know, what are we doing um, in terms of data and analytics? So in, in focusing on Major League Baseball for a second, we have, um, we have a, a product called StatCast for the Home Run Derby and our one wild card game. We give fans an alternative way to view the broadcast looking through a data lens. So trajectory. Um, and, and by the way, that, that has worked really well for us. We've gotten great feedback from, from fans and from the media. And so we're going to be doing five more regular season baseball games. We'll have a Yankees-Red Sox game, uh, regular season game this year. We'll, we'll have an alternative broadcast. We'll have the primary game on ESPN 1, but we'll have an alter, alternative broadcast on ESPN 2, which is really focused on data and ana analytics. So... And, of examples. and so as we all, as a panel as a whole, as we look at the panel topic of the future of sports business, do you see that type of all players, not all, but players being mic'd, multiple broadcasts of the same events, I mean, in the future of the broadcast experience? I do. You know, a lot of this depends on the leagues unions, and the players and the, the players, unions, yep. exactly. You can't just do it. No. I mean, we would never do anything without partnering clo closely with with the leagues, but yes, I believe, like if you look at what we're doing with the WNBA, like we have real-time access for regular season games to these women, and it's fantastic. Feedback has been off the charts. So yeah, fast forward five, 10 years from now, Abe, and I expect this to be much more commonplace. I will say the XFL, I really, I, yeah. I like what they've been doing with a lot of that. Give the audience a feel for the future of the fan experience in a venue. What's gonna be entirely different? Either access, ingress, egress, food order, what do yeah. you see being really different. I, th I think I'm just building off of what Jimmy was saying is that, um, you know, the, first of all, the younger athletes, they're going to drive that decision as well because they're part of the market and they understand what it means to have direct connections because they were fans too. And they're going to realize what that connection is all about. 
Also, what consumers have learned, especially millennials and younger, have said is we expect direct access. That's what Instagram uh, direct messaging is all about. I can, I can direct DM my favorite athlete and get a response, and they'll actually talk to me. Yeah. So building on that expectation is in the live experience, you're going to expect to have that relationship as well. You're going to have that open form. And when you don't get it, it'll feel disappointing. Therefore, the, the athlete's going to know that that connection is important for their business, their brand, and their future, which is part of their, where they're going, the value of the other pieces of the business beyond what's on the field for them. So we're, we're building on that. So what we're seeing the future is, is helping you immerse yourself into something that you want to do when you're on site and to make the fullest of the experience, whether it's day of or weekend of in the major events like the Super Bowl, that actually starts on like a Thursday when we, when we do live events and dinners and private parties and meet and greets and you're on the field and you're going to the locker room and you're going on tours all the way to the actual game itself. You're flying in. My favorite part is if you're, let's say, an Eagles fan, imagine a moment going to the, your Super Bowl in a long time. You drive into the parking lot, you get on a, a team plane, and then you land in, in uh, a venue and you experience it with the, with the fans, the athletes, the coaches, and then you you're on the field to the celebration, and then you come home on the plane and you're in the parking lot with Eagles fans. That is amazing and that's what we do well those experience though be accessible to all they sound very with so, all due respect very elitist i love that and i'm glad you asked that question because uh yes because there's all different tiers of it there's always going to be that bespoke experience that's going to feel like that aspiration yeah. and then there's going to be the ones that are more accessible the analogy i keep drawing is it's similar to an airline jet there's the first class and then there's coach, but you're still on the same jet getting from place to place. We are, we are expecting to create the same, similar uh, high value experiences and bespoke experiences no matter what your dollar and price point is. It's not just about large dollars. It's about the emphasis on the experience. So if, you're not, if you can't get the top experience, we want every experience to deliver that same delight and surprise. I go to, yeah, go ahead. And I was gonna say, it's personalization. Right? And it's not just for the big events, but it's for every event. Yeah. So when, you know, we just created this new product that it's flexible. We said, you know, built for the millennials, but there's no, I'm going to buy this seat and you're going to sit in this seat. We're going to sit here and that's going to be our 43 game experience, right? That communal, be able to move around, have the food change every month, have different um, experiences. Like people want to say, this is the content I want. This is the beer I want. This is the experience I want with my friends. I want to be able to be flexible. I wanted to be able to make my decisions last minute. Uh, you know, those are some of the just daily. You know, there's the big events, and then there's, you know, 86 home games worth of, uh, and, and 40 events, uh, concerts, that people want to be able to, they want what they want, and we are doing our best to try to meet them in the middle to deliver that. And that's just a continual evolution. And it is from getting into, you know, I drink this beer, or I have that, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a demand. I think it'll be interesting to see this year. I think you guys published an article that said there's this year alone there's eight and a half billion dollars of capital that went into new venues that are opening. Right, SoFi Stadium and in LA and Hollywood Park is going to be opening this summer. Um, I heard a stat. I don't know if it's true, but <clears throat> somebody said that Hollywood Park is actually bigger than the original footprint of Disneyland. Right. So well, yeah. imagine the. It's not just about the actual the game experience or the concert, but how do you extend that? Right. And unbelievable entertainment experiences outside of that. So I, I think the options are partnering with some of these state-of-the-art venues and to figure out you know, the art of the possible and how we, we really reimagine that experience is, 
um, there's a lot of runway there. And so when Jimmy Pataro's boys go to TD Garden in 2013 to watch the Bruins, the biggest change for their experience will be what? Just ultra personalized? I, I personalized and I think fast. Right, that nobody, I think the the um, the idea of like we just spent a hundred million dollars and we had a bathrooms. There's no ROI about it. Wasn't about bathrooms, <laughs> right? It was about making sure that people could get in out and increasing and get the throughput. action. And 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 you know we're about to open these new um, grab and goes, uh, and that your experience is going to be very quick. I'm going to get my credit card and basically grab well, my product. Speed is essence. So I think it's, it's, they want to have that personalization. Look, the best thing about live sports right now is that people want to go and they want to be with people like people yeah. and have that experience, that communal experience. So we need to make sure the product that they're seeing is strong and we don't control the product. So it's all those other touch points that they get everything that they, you know, want to experience in that time frame, and that they leave with this whether the team won or lost, that they had a good experience, right? That they just felt fabulous about coming in and it was easy. They just, it's, it's got to be easy for them because I'm competing with you. Yeah. <laughs> good question. You, Sorry, you go ahead, Amy. by yep. the way, the, uh, the XFL. I think it'll be interesting. XFL, the PLL, Premier Lacrosse, yeah. be great. You see some of these, these newer leagues have an opportunity to take risks that perhaps some of the more established leagues. So I think it'll be interesting to see and learn from them on how they're changing the experience. How does that product change? Can yeah. you do some of these things at scale? And they're obviously engaging their, their players in a way that, um, that some of the professional teams don't. So, so I'm interested to see how those play out in particular. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it, it goes back to almost the first thing is what you asked us with the differences. It's the changing of behavior. You can't change everyone's behavior overnight. It starts with uh, the influencers or the first first groups of people to respond, and then it permeates from there. And as long as they get uh, exactly what they're seeking, then everybody's going to follow in and learn how to change behavior. You cannot change every single behavior in one time. Mm -hmm. Great question here that I want to follow up on because it's relevant. I spend more time in, the, in traffic than I do in my seat. How do you get me in and out of venues faster? Amy? Oh, you want me to solve the Boston traffic problem uh, up here? We have 20 minutes left. You can solve the problem. Yeah, what that looks like. Um, I, well, is no, ingress, egress you, the biggest complaint you get? Yeah, so traffic is a, is a huge issue. And listen, we're fortunate. We are one of two arenas that sit on top of train station um, with a, with a T. Uh, and, and we have a lot of people that are already downtown. What I'm hoping is that there you can expand the experience. And we just, you know had a billion dollar investment in this wonderful uh, mixed use development, which I think, you know, everybody is doing because you're trying to, you know, if we can track people a little bit sooner and have them have some of those experiences and come in um, and, and, and extend that time frame a little bit uh, for some, that's a possibility. But traffic is a real issue. I mean, it's awful in Boston. They'll tell you it's a, it's a big challenge. So just trying to be flexible, you know, changing times, doing whatever we can to make sure that we can um, get people in effectively because you don't, the whole idea is not to miss what they came for. They don't want to miss the first three songs of a concert. They don't want to miss the, the tip off or they could miss a goal in a hockey game and that was it. Jimmy, this one's for you. You stress ESPN Plus. Is it is the goal to acquire more rights or to currently develop the assets that you currently have? Yes. Um, Both? <laughs> Both. Uh, yes, and. Look, we, we, we're, we're opportunistic. You know, we, we have the best programming and rights acquisition team on the planet. Uh, they've been doing this for a really, really long time. And so we're, we're being strategic in terms of what's available. 
you know, a, a, a lot of, of, of sports rights are not available because we and our competitors have them already. But when things do come up, as we talked about, UFC, top-ranked boxing, et cetera, um, we're being opportunistic. Uh, so, but the content is, is, is part of the equation, as I said before, but also making sure that we're constantly uh, improving the product. Um, so you got the content and you got the user experience and, and, and both are priorities. There's a lot of rights coming up you know, in the next three to five years, which, yeah. which, which could be uh, attractive to Plus. Correct. And you're, so far you're not seeing any properties reluctant to go on Plus. No, quite, quite the opposite. I mean, especially when, when you announce 7.6 million subscribers, people understand that, that this is not a niche product, right. that there, there's, there's scale to be had there. Good question here from the audience. Real quickly, if anyone wants to jump in, what are you learning from the XFL? Listen, I think it's still early days, but um, the, the demand has been, has been great, right? I mean, the, what I love about the XFL is it's, it's more accessible, right? The entry point for an XFL ticket right. is, is very affordable. Um, you know, they're trying to change the experience and, and make sure that, you know, the average American can, can go to sports, which is fantastic, right? I think that's, that is one of the challenges that the sports industry faces is, I mean, anytime you have an imbalance between supply and demand, um, the, the price of the tickets continue to go up. So I think XFL, PLL, these are great um, opportunities for to broaden access to, um, to more consumers. I, I look at it as a great place to experiment. Because experiment. With, the, yeah. uh, with the XFL ticket price, we haven't done a deal with them yet, but what a great place for us to really uh, dig deeper into what it, the pressure tests, the, the depths of an experience, what we can actually do, and how we can bring a, a fan at a lower ticket price into a higher level of experience. It's going to teach us a lot. I would, I would just chime in there and say, we have not talked about this yet, which is a miracle, uh, sports betting. Uh, you know, if, if you watch an XFL game right now, um, at the bottom you'll see lines and spreads and over-unders, and, and I've actually had fans uh, tell me that, that they're sticking around because they want to see if the game's going to beat the, you know, the over. Got it. Uh, and so I'm sure the leagues are, are paying it. By the way, we're really only doing that right now with, with the XFL. Going back to my point before, we would never do that without, without league consent and partnership, but I'm sure that they're paying attention to that. Yep. And for the audience's edification, I would say that we're still in the uh, middle of the first inning on sports betting and its incorporation into the sports industry. Do you guys disagree? Do you have a different point of view on where we are in sports betting? No, it's the top of the first, in, yeah. in, 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 in my opinion. We're, we're just getting going here, and what an opportunity for, for, for everyone, I mean, especially as you're thinking about being more relevant to, to, to the younger generation. Um, when you're talking about expanding your audience. Look, if we did, if we did absolutely nothing here from an ESPN perspective, uh, we would benefit. More people invested in the game, more people watching, uh, which, which is good for business. But, but we are absolutely not sitting idle here. We are investing heavily in the space. Couple questions here still on coronavirus. Amy Howe with all, Amy, uh, Amy Howe and Amy Latimer, a couple of questions here about with the regulation saying sits, stand six feet away from someone next to you, uh, lack of contact, quality of food, how can you think really and guarantee fan safety? Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure what we can guarantee. I think that we are trying to do the right thing for our fans and our associates um, and taking all the, the best practices. And it's, it's a learning process, I think, for, for all of us right now. But I think putting 
We weren't going to sit back and wait. I think trying to be proactive and, and, and putting our fans in, in the best place possible um, with what we know is, is what we can do right now. I agree with that. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we have an obligation to protect our, our fans, our artists, our employees. Um, so, so that's job number one. And I think similarly, we're all working through this together, working closely with authorities and, and making sure that as we get better and you know, more informed about what's going on, that we're making the right decisions. It's, it's early, right? Question here. I'm not sure I fully understand it. I think, Paul, it could be best for you. With so many options available for fans and ticketing, how do you identify a unified fan base? Um, well, that's a great data, data and analytics. Right, that's what frankly. Thinking. And, um, you know, that's, we, we didn't speak about it really a lot on the panel yet, but the data and analytics underpinning of our organization is going to be pretty significant. That's a big part of the build we're doing right now is the technology, the data, um, understanding how we can apply uh, behavior and information. I mean, I, we're not there yet, but it would be wonderful if our mobile ticketing or RFID type systems could help us deliver information that gets, uh, allows us to serve our customers better, to give them opportunities, to help them uh, to discover the opportunities a little bit more customized. You know, so we have a vision for a time where you're going to be able to, uh, it, we're going to be able to understand enough about you to help you understand more about us. And it's not, it's not designed to be creepy. It's designed to be, uh, frankly, better serve. And, uh, and that, so we're, that's our aspiration in using the underpinning to do it. Un, uh, there's a lot of good progress made right now in terms of understanding how consumers want to behave and, and, and help them understand it. You know, there's an old adage that people don't know what they want until you show it to them. And then once they show it to them, they react and tell you if they, want, they still want it. And as you go through that, um, that level of data and analytics is going to be significant. We're, we're making huge investments in this space right now, right? So there's a lot of discussion around that. How do you get that single point of view into the fans? So, if, you know, you start with obviously all the insight around ticketing and then your ability to append that with third-party data sources. So, right. you know, you know, there's 300, 400 attributes you know about a consumer, all obviously within appropriate you know, data privacy rights, but your ability to take that and whether it's your sponsorship division or your concert division or ticketing, how you leverage that platform right, to really, to both change the experience, but to, you know, to drive your business in a way that you've never been able to because you didn't have that single point of view. Pretty powerful. That, Incredibly. Yeah, that's gonna be a, a huge addition to this industry. Right. Um, you know, uh, I would say you know, the, the media industry, the financial industries, they have been deep in on data and analytics for a long time, and they've been applying it from almost day one. Um, this industry is going very fast into it, and I think our collective investments in there are pretty insignificant. In Good question here. It's a little broad, but is there one technology out there that you're particularly excited about? And they mentioned VR, AI, machine learning. Is there anything out there particularly that you're excited about? that you think could impact sports business? Uh, I think all of it's going to impact sports business right. significantly, right? But the most I think the most important thing is going to be us uh, as close to the individual, the full scope of the individual, whether it's through RFID or uh, UI identification, everything else that we can get to understanding a person. And then uh, you, applying AI to it is going to be the next level. Um, having the level of intelligence that uh, innovative creative thinkers in the technical engineering space is going to help us apply and then get machines to help us make that better, that's going to have significant impact. It does start, though, with understanding the consumer. We have about 10 minutes left. This is where I told them we would go to rapid fire, quick, 
questions, I'm asking for even quicker answers. So I'm going to start. This one probably won't be real quick, but I do want to start with Jimmy and Bob Iger, the news on Bob Iger. And if you read one book this year, I would suggest all you young people read Bob Iger's book. What I mean, talk about someone who reinvented a business, right? Yeah. You're, you worked with him closely. What is the big, and it's too hard, but a learning from Bob Iger that you can share with the audience was? Yeah, look, 10 years ago, I was at Yahoo. Very, very happy there. Uh, and, and, and Bob and I met and uh, was not looking to leave, but you spend five minutes with Bob and you say to yourself, this is someone I want to work for. Uh, and that's what happened to me. Uh, so I, I joined in, in 2010 and I've been working directly for him ever since. And it's been the, the best 10 years of my professional career by a mile. Um, Bob is calm, he's, he's thoughtful, he provides air cover when you need it, he's not a micromanager. I say the things, a couple of things that I've learned um, from Bob that are most important would be first, optimism. We've talked about the challenges, you mentioned them before, Abe, in, in, in our business, um, but you know, no one wants to work for a pessimist. And, and so you know, Bob and I speak literally seven days a week. We have for, for the entire time I've, I've worked for him and, and there's always this, this, um, this atmosphere of, of, of optimism. And so I, I, I try to make sure that cascades down throughout or, our organization. The, the other thing I'd say is, is decisiveness, which is a pretty awesome combination to have from a boss. An optimistic boss who's gonna make decisions and not just ask for another meeting. And so I'll walk into Bob's office and I'll say, here's the issue and, and we'll, we'll talk about it and one of two things will happen. He'll, he'll either say, um, your call, I'll support you either way, or he'll say, which is very rare, he'll say, here's what you need to do. Um, but, but usually he and I will align very quickly. So I'd say optimism and decisiveness. That's really good stuff. I want to move on to the, uh, but I will say the book was great. Very, I don't know if you're, it's a great, great book. Really and uh, you were very lucky to work with him as long as you have. Great. You've also worked with Bob a lot too, the new CEO. JPEG, yeah, so, so we, we announced a new CEO and uh, he, he was the gentleman who was uh, running the theme parks. Um, but in 2014 or 15, I was running what was called at the time Disney Interactive, which was one of five segments at the Walt Disney Company. And uh, Bob Chapek was moving over to run the theme parks. At the time, he was running consumer products. And so he and I got to know each other really well during that process because I ended up taking on the consumer products business right. that he was moving away from. So we spent a lot of time together. We both sat at, at Bob's table, Bob Iger's table, for many years right next to each other. So we have a good relationship. He's a, he's a big sports fan. He's very straightforward, very direct, and I think we're, we're going to be in good shape under Bob. Outside of the coronavirus, because we've hit on that, I do want to ask the panel a, a story in sports business you're watching very closely over the next 12 to 16 months. Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, the, I'm watching the media rights, frankly, as we go forward, because the impact on the leagues will be significant, and that, that obviously impacts my business. Sports betting. It's coming to Massachusetts soon. It's already out in a few states, but the, the legislature and everybody, it seems things are softening. Things, some people came out really strict and hard, and it seems like there's some retreat, so in a good way um, for the fans, I think. So I think that's the most important thing for us right now. Is it, is it coming more and more to arenas? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, we need to be ready for what's going to be next is uh, I'm going to bet on the next, who makes the next free throw, and we need to have the yeah. technology and able yeah. to, to, give, to give fans that ability, and that's, you know, that, that'll take some time. And that could be 5G into technology we talked 5G, about yeah. and yeah. Uh, no latency. 
Jimmy, what story? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo that. I'm sorry. It's boring, but, but sports betting. Uh, look, we're, we're, we're invested on the news and information side, but we're starting to think about how can we, to use the term of the day, how can we take friction out of the process? How can we facilitate things and make it easier for, for folks to be placing bets? Amy? I'm not going to say sports betting. Uh, I'm, listen, I'm excited to see how the gender equality in, mm. in sports plays out, right? I mean, I think mm. the U.S. women's soccer team using their voice, um, the progress with the WNBA and the collective bargaining. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, women using their platform um, to, to do great things in the industry. There's going to be more of that, and, and candidly, I welcome it. Finish this sentence for me, please. Amy Howe, I'll start with you. The sports industry needs to do a better job of? Making youth sports more accessible to everyone. Jimmy? Uh, giving fans uh, more and better access to athletes. I'm going to say diversity of thought, not just gender, um, but just diversity across other um, industries, just different people we need to... We need to infuse some other thoughts into, I think, our industry. Yeah, I agree. In addition to bringing in diversity of thought, people outside the industry, I also think that the sports industry has to spend a little bit of time looking at all the other industries and learning about the, the trials and tribulations they have gone through, because that could be and, and probably will be our future as well. Jessica Gelman, I think, was telling us backstage about 40% of the attendees' students. I'm sure all of them want to get a job, uh, all of your jobs, at one day. The advice, Jimmy, I'll start with you and work out. What advice do you give to young people who want to be in the sports business? Uh, be curious. You know, it's, it's very easy to access information right now, so devour as much a, a, as you can. And then I'd say uh, be patient. You know, I, I, I'd say take the job. You know, you don't have to hold out for, for the perfect job. Take the job, get in there, regardless of where it is. Um, work hard. Don't let anyone outwork you. Uh, and, and, and then uh, treat people well, treat people with respect, and then be patient. Be clear with your manager or managers in terms of what you want to do, what your passion area is, um, but at the same time, be patient. I, I benefited from that. Going back to my first conversation with Bob Iger 10 years ago, I told Bob I was a sports fan, and ultimately I, I, I got the opportunity to work for ESPN. That it's telling them work that you're a sports fan worked for you. Because sometimes telling people, if you're overly saying you're a sports fan, sometimes that turns off yeah. some people. Yeah, right? it worked for me. Yeah, good. Yeah. Your advice? I'd say a few things. One is uh, check your ego at the door. Mm. Uh, two, embrace ambiguity. Um, you know, you're not going to always have the very clearly defined roles, so stepping into that is, is a great thing. And then three, I think at some point you have to realize that EQ and RQ matter as much, if not more, than RQ. Just being the smartest person in the room sometimes isn't enough. Very good. Amy Latimer? Uh, so I'm a big fan of raise your hand for the job above your head. Um, I believe that so many people are worried about having exactly on their resume and their job experience what the job is. And I think if you have 75%, raise your hand, go in there, make a case. You will learn the rest. You will surround yourself with good people. I agree. Being good to everyone else around you um, is, is a quality that I think is, is so important. Um, and put yourself out there. And I agree also. Take any job right now, just if you're trying to get in sports. But take it for the company that you believe in their culture, right? Because I think the culture is so important for you to be successful that how they celebrate and how they treat their employees is a, is a really important factor. So make sure that you, that's, for me, the best decision to make. Um, the advice I got years when I came into the, uh, the first stage of business out of college was the advice I would just stick with, which is really simple. 
Uh, first of all, be where the money is. <laughs> so whatever job you take, try to be as close to the money as possible. But the second, uh, which is more important, is don't fall in love with the company name or what the company is today. Fall in love with the boss that you're going to work for and the people that you're going to work with because those are the people that will make the company what it is tomorrow. If you fall into love with the company that it is today without the other part of it, more than likely you're not going to be growing as fast as you could. And Paul, just elaborate, be next to the money, meaning? Be next to the money, meaning if you're going to, uh, if you're going to be in a, working in a company, make sure, you know, the idea is if whatever you want to do, be as close to why the purpose of that company matters. Uh, so if the company, you know, with ESPN, the company matters in a specific way and be as close to that as you possibly can. In my company, be as close to the experience as you possibly can. Contribute to the experience. Be exactly what the consumer is trying to buy. Mine's far less profound. But uh, just be, be early for an interview and, and, and be prepared. And do Those your are, I, it kills me when people are late. Yeah. You know? All right, so one Amazing. word answer. <laughs> Hot sport you're keeping an eye on. Amy Latimer. Oh, uh, the PLL. Ah. Oh, Paul Rabels. Yeah, I love it. I love watching. It's awesome. Interesting. Paul? The XFL. XFL. Jimmy Pitaro, this is good for you. NFL. That's a hot sport for you still. NFL is a lot of growth. Yeah, we have 8% growth. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's had a great run. Amy Howe? Other than my kids' youth golf right now, um, I'm going to go with them, XFL and PLL. I'm excited to see how those leagues emerge. We are in Boston. Tom Brady plays for which team next year? <laughs> <laughs> I will start with Jimmy Pitaro. Oh. Oh. Uh. Easier to the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> she says the Rams. I like Amy Howell. He's the team that he feels most comfortable with. Uh, I did it. Sorry. Uh, Patriots. Absolutely. I'm not participating. <laughs> uh, Astro. Your guess. Uh, my guess is he does not play for the New England Patriots. That's all my guess. Um, um, Astro scandal. Good or bad for baseball? Paul. Absolutely horrible. I'm a Yankee fan. That was awful. And by the way, uh, sorry, Boston, but uh, it's just horrible as a fan of any sport. You know, look, there's a reason why there are rules in sports. It's because that's what the definition of how you compete. As soon as you change and alter that beyond the scenes, it's unfair, and that's not what a sport is based on. Got to play by the rules. Jimmy, will it increase interest in baseball? Definitely newsworthy. I mean, so many people are paying attention to this, and we're seeing... You know, we're covering it across all of our platforms. Um, so, yes, definitely generating a lot of fan interest. Amy Howe? It's terrible. I listen as a mom. It just sets a terrible precedent for the youth. Mm. So. Great session. I want to thank the panelists. I want to thank MIT Sloan, Jess Gelman, Daryl Morey. But for Paul, Amy, Jimmy, and Amy, we will be around today. Love to say hi. Have a great rest of your day. See you, everyone. Thank you. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.